In our podcast miniseries, Made by Microbes, we explore new ways of microbial production. The range of microbial products is widening, with advances in life sciences that enable microbes to produce substances that are naturally produced by animals or plants. We invite people whose daily work is deeply rooted in microbial research to share their insights and discuss the expected impact of biotechnology on our everyday life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the episode on automation and modeling in microbial science. Scientific research is usually very cost-intensive and time-consuming, so today we will talk about the tools and strategies that help to speed up scientific research. We will also talk about the benefits of collaborations across disciplines, countries, and institutions. And we will discuss promising future applications of microbial production. I welcome Chivin Kittikuna Pang from Chalmers University of Technology in Sweden. Chivin is a PhD student who works in the Systems and Synthetic Biology Group, which is one of the leading research groups for metabolic engineering and industrial biotechnology of yeast. He works in the laboratory of Edward Kerkhoven that researches computational metabolic engineering. And we welcome Yannick Brack from the Greifswald University in Germany. Yannick is PhD student as well, and he's working at the Department of Biotechnology and Enzyme Catalysis, which is headed by Uwe Bornscheuer. And this department develops tailor-made biocatalysts suitable for industrial applications. And I'm Waltraud Hoheneder from Lickefer Vienna, and I'm hosting this episode. Janik and Chivin, you both studied biology and you are both doing your PhD in the field of biotechnology, but you are working in very different niches. Chivin, what is your personal background? Well, so hello everyone, um, this is Chivin. So originally I was not working in the computational space behind a computer. I was more of a traditional molecular biologist by training. So I was working with human cells to study how our DNA is stored I say my journey strongly speaks to the interdisciplinary of the field as I move from the bench working with pipettes and plates to crunching numbers behind the computer for my PhD. So at SysBio, my research group, we work mostly with yeast. So yeast is a fungus, a microbial species that has been used worldwide for the production of foods such as beer or bread for thousands of years. It also plays an important role in new areas of biotechnology. While it is indeed the main focus of the group, I actually work with uh, other models for other microbial species to, in, to be able to explore their capabilities, their abilities to work together. And I am interested in how they may interact in a diverse ecosystem when there is more than one species. So living microbes can be called cell factories because they are productive they can grow in a preferred environment. So these microbes produce substances that can actually be beneficial and valuable to us. In coining the term cell factory, we are effectively harnessing these, these microbes to, to, to produce something that we could utilize for ourselves. At the lab, we work to enhance these capabilities of the microbes to either produce more of the substances they produce naturally, or we're actually introducing new pathways or new genes, new instructions, so they can produce other substances. This is ultimately achieved by metabolic engineering. 
Yannick, what makes microbes so fascinating to you? And what is the focus of your work at Greifswald University? So, hello everyone, I'm Yannick. And I think the first point where I got fascinated with microbes was when I learned during my studies that they nearly populate every possible environment. So if you look at our skin, if you look in the ocean or the normal soil, then everywhere we can find very huge amounts of microbes. And then later we start to learn more and understand the strategies, how they survive in these environments, how they adapt to the, uh, to the fields. And then I become more and more interested in utilizing these very different skills of the microbes to solve some human challenges or industrial challenges. And there, for example, microbes can be used in food production or also even in plastic degradation. And very crucial for these different skills, these different things that microbes can achieve are enzymes. And enzymes are needed for all living organisms. So plants, animals and humans, without enzyme, we all cannot survive. And our research group is now specialized in the investigation of enzymes. And we want to understand how they work and how we can change the enzymes for our purposes. Why are you so interested in enzymes? Where can they be used? So enzymes are actually used in, in many different industries. And they also can be used for the production of like everyday items, like a laundry detergent, for example. So if you, for example, have a grease spot on your favorite shirt, then these enzymes in the laundry detergent can break down the fat. And through this, the shirt can get clean again. And it's easy to wash it out then. Also, we can teach microbes to produce useful products for us. So we can teach a microbe to produce an enzyme and then the microbe can produce insulin, which is a very important pharmaceutical for the treatment of diabetes. And this all is possible through enzymes. And especially in our project, we want to use the, microbes, uh, the microbes to produce flavonoids. So we teach them how to produce the enzymes to produce flavonoids. And flavonoids are substances normally occurring in plants. And we hope that through a good production of them, we can add them to our diet. And this could then have some health benefit and could help us in preventing some diseases. We heard that living microbes can be called cell factories. What would an enzyme be in this factory? And first of all, can you tell us more about enzymes in general? So in a very scientific way, like enzymes can speed up chemical reactions. So they enable all the metabolic processes uh, in our body. And if we, for example, if we eat a piece of bread, then we have enzymes in our mouth, in our stomach that help us to digest the food. So in this case, the enzymes would cut the food into little pieces that then can be absorbed to the cells and used by our body. And without enzymes, this is everything is not possible and all these metabolic processes are not, uh, not happening. And if we now can see to the microbes, maybe you can see the whole cell as a kind of factory. And then the enzyme can be seen as like a single machine inside of this factory. So we have a, the whole microbes, we have like different, hundreds of different machines and they all have to work together to produce a good network and to enable the living of the organism. And if we now want to uh, change the factory, we want to make it improve it for our purposes, then we in our research group try to investigate a single enzyme to enhance it, to improve it, and so that we can achieve a better production of a product. Well, both universities develop tools and strategies to accelerate and facilitate scientific research. 
Chivin, can you tell us more about the technologies that you use in your laboratory? Yeah, for some context. So in the laboratories, what we call the wet labs, these microbes are growing media. And this is where all the hard work is going on. It is very important to, to find that perfect temperature, to feed it with the best nutrition possible, to find the right substrates, and to continually monitor the cells' growth and development all the time. So you could say that it's very intensive, a lot of trial and error is going on here. So this is probably what is common in biotechnology as an artisanal field. But uh, up to this point, we are being trying to be even more systematic about how we approach the engineering now. So to speed up this research, we use data-driven modeling, which you can compare very closely to computer-aided design that you can find in other more established uh, industries. So that with the help of modeling simulations, we can actually predict how these uh, microbes could perform in, in reality. So the best analogy is to perhaps compare it to designing a car or a plane using computer-aided design. You do this before you actually go through the trouble of actually building that prototype, which could be costly if you do it every single time. When we find a pro promising way to proceed forward in, in what I call the dry lab, working on the computer, we then take these results and then test them and validate in the experimental wet lab. So to see if our strategy is actually successful. So this is uh, the part of the validation so we validate the simulation results in the lab. So in short, it's all about that iteration, that cycling between the in silico, so on the computer prediction with these uh, computational methods, and then the in vitro, in vivo validation at the lab. How can we imagine the process of creating such computer models? So um, these models are called genome scale metabolic models. You can get insights and make these predictions when you set these objectives or goals for the model. For example, if we put in X amount of the certain raw material, for example, like glucose, we can actually predict how much this goes towards the growth of the cell, the, the factory, and how much it actually goes towards making the particular compound that we want. But uh, at the very start, in order to make these models, we utilize information that we have from the microbes genome, which is a uh, tremendously easier thanks to modern DNA sequencing and is much more cheap and accessible for many labs nowadays. This allows us to read and decipher the genetic code, or I could say the blueprints for the organisms and allows is much more affordable and we can have access to many more organisms nowadays. So it's easier to build these models and is made even easier because we have these established databases to deal with the genome and, uh, and the proteins involved in these organisms. And in addition, our group has actually taken a step further in the past uh, few years. We're actually able to utilize the information that has to do with the proteins or enzymes to understand the inherent limitations of the microbes. So a good way to establish this uh, in your head visually is to imagine a city map with me. You can have these landmarks and these, uh, these particular places that you want to visit and they are connected by the roads. However, getting from point A to point B is not as easy as you would see on Google Maps going from a straight line. Especially if you're coming from a busy, busy city like me and like Bangkok, you would know that traffic is a big thing. So you can see that not all the roads are made equal. Some are bigger than others. Some are actually going one way. Some have two lanes. Some have, there are highways and they're like have four lanes, for example. So you can compare this to understanding enzymes in the context of metabolism. When you understand how enzymes, how they function and how quick 
quickly or how efficiently they do their roles, we have a way of establishing these limitations, this traffic that happens in the cell. Yannick, your department at Greifswald University has developed a robot called Lara. How does this robot work? So for this, I will first explain a little bit um, what for experiments we do. So to investigate an enzyme, we want to introduce small changes into the enzyme. So we produce different enzyme variants to then see how these variants act and how the function changes. And to explore what four changes we want to introduce into the enzyme, we often use computer simulation. But nevertheless, this, uh, the enzyme's mechanism and the interaction with the surrounding is very complex. And since now we have no computer simulation, which can really mimic this perfectly correct. So because of this, we always have to go in the lab again after the simulation, where we have to verify and to see what for changes and what for influences this change. And most of this uh, hands-on laboratory work are just standardized working steps like pipetting, incubation, centrifugation, and so on. And all this work can also be performed by a robotic uh, system. And so in our institute, we have the robotic platform LARA, which stands for Laboratory Automation Robotic Assistant. And this robotic uh, system can also do all this laboratory work and test the different enzyme variants. And of course, a big advantage is that this robot can work 24 hours each day a week without a coffee break, without having to sleep. And so this, of course, it can perform much more experiments than the scientists can do. How many enzyme samples can this robot analyze in a day compared to a scientist? So this, of course, always depends a little bit on what for experiments you are performing. So how long the incubation step has to be, what for an assay you can produce. But like very, very roughly, you could say that the robot can screen thousands of enzyme variants per day, whereas like a very hardworking single scientist maybe can reach like hundreds. But of course, you also have to see that the advantage of the robot is that it can work 24-7 without breaks. And also during this time the robot is working, the scientist can prepare maybe new work for the robot, or he or she can analyze the results of the, uh, of the robot working. So we... Uh, overall, this whole robotic platform just reduces the workload for the scientists and we can uh, um, perform much more experience in an easy way. Chibin, where do you see the main benefits of cooperations between research institutions? Well, there are many benefits, actually. For example, that my group focuses on mostly yeast. So when we're working with different uh, other species, we actually can, uh, can reach out to other groups and leverage upon their knowledge of those species. But uh, generally speaking, is I really enjoy that uh, process of like that back and forth between the collaborators, or rather, you could see it as more of a cycle, the, the typical design, build, test, learn cycle that we use in the in our field, where the modeling analysis or the design steps provide these new suggestions to which enzymes you could you engineer to improve to improve the overall performance of your cell factory if you want to make a certain uh, compound. And Yannick, how about you? What is your experience with cooperations? between research institutions? So I think a lot of very important point is like that the institutes are kind of specialized in um, different things. And so when you have more cooperation with other research institutes, you get like a better perspective and to get a little bit out of your bubble and to get a better perspective about the whole thing. 
And also, of course, you can learn a lot from other institutions because maybe they have more experience and then it can save you some time in the lab if you just learn from the other institutions. And like Shivin already said, like when we see at our two institutes, um, I really like this comparison with a map. So we could say that Shivin maybe finds a street that is where the traffic is stopping. And so what we have to improve to get to our product. And then, for example, our institute can look more into the enzyme and to see how we can maybe change or improve this enzyme to maybe get a highway out of the street that we then have a very good production and that we can so in total increase just the metabolism. Chibin, how might scientific work change in the future? How could it be different to the scientific work that is done today in the laboratories? Like even today, it looks very different from what it what it was originally a two decades ago, where we, there was a lot more trial and error. So in the future, I definitely imagine that we're converging towards using even more in modeling, more simulation. And this ultimately allows us to make engineering these new strains in the lab more strategic and more efficient. So overall, this is one of the main ways that we will end up reducing the time spent actually doing the manual stuff in the wet lab. So uh, in an ideal world, perhaps the work in the wet labs would not be necessary anymore. I'm already seeing these changes happening and making an impact in the commercial space where you can actually execute or implement these experiments from, from your computer and have it executed on robotic platforms. Some of the companies coined this as biology on the cloud. So they have an entire operating system that allows uh, people in the wet lab to, instead of uh, doing the pipetting, doing the manual work themselves, they can, they can design the instructions on the computer and then have it sent to robots to perform it instead. Yannick, how do you think scientific work will be different, let's say, 10 years from now? Yes, yeah, so I would completely agree with you in that uh, what he said, that in the future, I think robots will perform more and more lab work. And so the scientists will start to work less in the lab and even more in the office. And also, I think since we will produce more and more data from scientists all over the world, also the computer simulations will get better and better. And so I think we, in the future, we can find and even design enzymes for more and more applications and can use them in more and more fields. Uh, as an example, for our field this year, there were some new enzyme structure prediction programs published, and they are based on artificial intelligence, and they're named like AlphaFold or RosettaFold. And these programs are very precise, like in the prediction of an enzyme structure, and the results are very close to the results that we obtain through experimental approaches, which take a far longer time and are far more complicated. And just this shows that the simulations will get better and better. And maybe in the future, there will be a uh, 100% perfect computer simulation. And then, of course, it will be very easy to design enzymes, the structure, and to improve them. And we could optimize enzymes for all kinds of reaction. And if we could even design completely new enzymes, then we even could catalyze new to nature chemical reactions. So reactions that would be yeah, completely new and to have find new substances. Well, both your scientific work could lead to all kinds of innovations. What are your personal visions? Can biotechnology and microbial production change the world as we know it now? Chibin, how about your personal visions? 
You would actually be surprised if I told you how how prevalent and how pervasively biology already like you can find biology in our daily lives and the products that we use on an everyday basis. So like the more conventional applications that you would be familiar with, like for example, using yeast is to make the, the bread and beer. But what is less known to the public in that in these these same same setups, like these same distilleries, these same reactories, we can also utilize these micro microbes to design and make new products, much like what Yanni had previously spoken in like pharmaceuticals. Nowadays it is common practice to make uh, drugs like insulin in yeast and bacteria. However, the issue that we face going forward is that the, sometimes this task that we present to one species is a bit too much of a burden. So as a result, we need more helpers. So what do I mean by this? Much like the project that uh, Yannick and I are involved in, we're actually trying to make certain compounds utilizing a multitude of species, so more than one. But the bottom line in terms of my personal vision, however, is that this technology is becoming more democratized. What I mean by that is being more not cheap, but accessible to people, not limited to just industry and academia. I see that these micros will even be more pervasive in our everyday life. Just over the past few decades, uh, there was actually a strong interest in making biofuels. So imagine that you have these, this land that you dedicate to crops, and now you have to split it between making for food and then making for energy. It's just not a good idea over in the long run. So in order to make sure that these renewable fuels are actually sustainable, we were, it's important to think of new sources that we can use these biofuels to get these biofuels from. So like woody trees, for example, but the conventional microbes that we use to make these biofuels cannot actually use these uh, sources, not unless you bring more helpers. So my vision for using consortia or multiple species set up, you can actually be able to uh, process the woody trees. So like you can be able to degrade the cellulose in these trees extract the sugar or the carbon source and then in that same setup you can make the biofuels so in 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 this case it provides uh, a more sustainable notion of a biofuel and yannick in which fields do you see the biggest potentials for new ways of microbial production that may change our everyday life in the future so like Shirin already mentioned, I think it's one of the big tasks the next year or the next decade will be like to have a more cleaner and more sustainable industry processes. And I think that uh, microbial cell factories and with this also enzymes can play like a very crucial role in this transformation because microbes, for example, can work completely on renewable sources. And also they usually work on a far more moderate conditions that it, that um, compared to the classical chemistry. And this, so we could use less energy for the same production. And so we could maybe shift um, if you go more to the uh, microbial biotechnology, we could shift more into the direction of a more greener and cleaner um, chemistry and industrial processes. I think I see a very big potential in the production of pharmaceuticals and also nutraceuticals. So nutraceuticals are foods or are parts of the foods that can help us and provide us with some health benefits when we add them to our diet. And so microbial factories can very easily and clean produce this product. And 
far better than the classical chemistry could be. And this would lead into a more sustainable industry processes and a very effective production. Well, I think we're coming to an end of this episode and I would like to summarize. So the work in the laboratories is and will be increasingly supported by computer modeling in order to predict uh, which experiments may be considered the most promising. And this uh, is and, and will be reducing much of the workload that uh, is necessary today and in the past uh, with the try and error experiments. So that in a way the work in the wet labs will mainly verify the results uh, predicted by computer modeling. And robots will do much of the work in the laboratories, in the wet labs, which is now done by the scientists, all the manual work. And scientists will then be able to control most of the experiments from the desktop, design experiments there, and send instructions to the robots to perform the experiment. So with these developments, uh, scientists can focus on designing new experiments, which they will do in teams, and concentrate on the creative part of research. I thank you very much, Yannick and Chivin, for joining me on Automation and Modeling in Microbial Science. And thanks to all the listeners for joining us. My name is Walter Thuenida, and I'm happy to welcome you in another episode of our podcast series, Made by Microbes. The podcast miniseries, Made by Microbes, is hosted by SynBio4Flav, a research consortium that has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Program under grant agreement number 814650. Members of the consortium, SynBio4Flav, talk about their work in and outside laboratories and about their personal visions. <laughs>